judge me by my size, you do not. Do or do not, Aaron Thompson. There is no try. You preach the impossible, Josh Karam. Mm. Well, perhaps then I preach the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. Members of the galaxy, and welcome to the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast. As you probably are guessing, it's going to be a little weird today. Aaron and I are not going to just talk about Dungeons and Dragons or Magic the Gathering. Enter third competitor, Star Wars. What's a Star Wars? What's a Star Wars? Well, which Star which Star Wars is this? Well, this is going to be a couple of the Star Wars that people aren't familiar with, because it's May the Fourth today. So happy May Fourth, everybody! May the Fourth be with you. And also with you. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's funny that we were saying, like, we both love Star Wars, and we want to time out a Star Wars episode at some point. So there was a great announcement recently that Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic will be making a remastered version with better graphics. I am in love with Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. I talk about it to Aaron way too much. I'm currently on my fourth playthrough of the game. I thought if we're going to do anything to bridge Star Wars and D&D, we got to talk about the things where D&D influenced Star Wars games, video, and board. I've never done that out of order, like game video. That just sounds strange. Games, both video and board. I love it. Go to your shop and pick up your games for the video. That's like um, on old VHSs when I would say, like, coming soon to the VHS player, you know, exactly. or to video cassette tape. Exactly. <laughs> Knights of the Old Republic is a really cool game where it, it's a Star Wars RPG, and if you're looking for, like, the best single-player Star Wars RPG, this is the game that you should definitely play, or just wait for the re-release, because it'd probably be cool to see Bastila Sean and all your favorite characters and better graphics. But the game works on the same ability score and D20 system that D&D works on, which I find really awesome. So it's the same strength, dexterity, constitution, charisma, intelligence, wisdom, into Star Wars. And everything, they don't show you the dice roll, but every decision you make is based on a D20, affected by different ability scores or feats that your character may have. Side note, like most video games run on some sort of random number generator. Just going to put that out there. Even if you don't see it behind the scenes, it's there. That's a good point. Sorry if that ruins your life, anybody out there, but it's just the way it is. <laughs> everything, everything is a little, just a little bit of random in everything. Right. But that's what, um, this is a little aside, but since we're talking about how dice systems work, um, it's one of the cool things I like about playing some of the Neverwinter games is, like, it'll show you what, like, what number you rolled. Oh, yeah. It, like, helps whenever, like, you fail and you're like, I shouldn't have failed. And you look in, like, the little dice queue and it's like, oh, you rolled a three? All right, that makes sense. (laughs) That's a really solid point. However, it kind of sucks where it's like, well, I wish I actually rolled that die. Then I'd feel better mm-hmm. about getting the one on the D20. That's how I feel about, like, online D&D, too. It's like my own dice are, like, out of my hands. I have to just, like, click a button and, like, hope that my random numbers are good. I just want to have full control over failing. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's all that I ask <laughs> right. for. <laughs> when I eat shit, I want it to be exclusively because of me. <laughs> Aaron, maybe could this be my pitch for Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, I'm going to sell you on Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Of course, yes. 
For those listening at home, I have never myself played the game, though it has been highly recommended to me many times, and I feel like I've played it from the amount that Josh talks about it. Exactly. I was playing it when we were in Alaska as well. I was doing, I think, my third playthrough. I first played this when I think I was like eight years old or something, and I picked it up. I had no idea what I was really doing because I was like, oh, you have to point and click. I don't actually slash the lightsaber around. So, like, I put everything into strength because it was like, I want to be a really tough character and then stopped playing it probably about after, like, a week and moved to something like Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy, where you could actually swing around a lightsaber in ridiculous fashion. But for, like, a segue for maybe people who've, like, played this game and have never played D&D before, Star Wars fans who might be into D&D, it's really the perfect way to show you not everything can be solved with combat. And I think that's a really cool thing about this game because this latest playthrough I'm doing, I'm finally playing the scoundrel route. So instead of everything in my combat skill, it's all in my charisma. So it's the very Jedi thing where I'm able to talk my way out of anything. And I just think that's so cool because it was like, I've never had these options available to me, but I haven't had to do as much combat. You get to do the classic, like, these are not the droids you're looking for. It's so exciting. I haven't been able to say that exact line yet, sadly, in this playthrough. But soon. There's a droid encounter in um, on Tatooine where HK-47, big character within the series, comes in. So maybe I'll say that at that moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe. So it's a pretty... I think there's a really cool um, D&D side to this game that's fun. Also, the thing that I like is that there is no set easier hard mode in the game. However, if you play the dark side path of it and choose dark side decisions, it is the easy version of the game because it's easier to be selfish than selfless. So, Mm. for example, there are decisions where it's like, Oh, well, um, if you want this, give me 500 gold. You could either threaten the person's life or pay them the 500 gold. Mm -hmm. I remember we talked about this on our alignment podcast, how like in some games it's easier to be good, right? Yeah. Just like in real life. But like in this one, being good like has consequences or like it takes extra steps. To, to actually do the right thing. Totally. The Jedi path is a hard one sometimes. It is hard to become a master, a master Jedi of the Force. Of course, yes. Mm, like that. Yoda. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, he just, he came out of And nowhere. we're back. And we're back. Welcome to the Yoda cast. Yes, Josh's famous Yoda impersonation. <sighs> Not an impression, an impersonation. I know, I'm so sorry that I messed it up on my resume for so many years, Aaron. It's fine. It's fine. It's just a it's a funny little joke I have now. I, I won't lie. Whenever I like see it on my resume now, I'm like, I'm happy that Aaron did say it because I can laugh at it now, but it, it's good that it's correct on my resume now. You think about all the years you had it on there wrong and like how many other people saw it and didn't say anything. What if they just didn't hire me because of it? They're like, oh. They were like, this idiot. This idiot doesn't even know how to say it correctly. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Uh, if I do a Book of Mormon audition, maybe I'll get that Yoda line in Book of Mormon, which will be pretty, oh yeah, which will be pretty exciting. Th- there's my goal. I'm putting my goal out there right now. Good. It's always good to visualize your goals, and then you can manifest them. Anywho, Knights of the Old Republic, really fun Star Wars game. Super excited for it to come back out again. I will be playing it for a fifth time, no doubt, when it comes out. And it's just a really fun RPG where there are consequences for every action you make. And D20 system, ability scores from D&D, it's a pretty nice married couple between D&D and Star Wars. However, I feel as though we should mention that there is an actual Star Wars 
RPG role-playing D&D set game because you can get the Knights of the Old Republic module for D&D. Aaron, you were talking about different dice systems. There's Edge of the Empire as well. Yes, which I have played, and it is a lot of fun. That one, especially when you're talking about role-playing systems that don't always prioritize combat, you have entire characters that have no combat skills in Edge of the Empire, which I think is so cool. And it runs a lot different from D&D. It's much more of a collaborative storytelling format, I think, because you end up making a pool of dice, some of which are helpful and some are harmful. Yes, yes. And And you roll them both at the same time, and I think that's a great way to take into account complex situations with a lot of factors contributing both for and against you right and so then it's sort of up to you and the dm to sort of narrate the results right and so like every almost every action has consequences there are very few flawless perfect successes Mm. right so and it's neat and it's cool too the way that they calculate the force in this in edge of the empire there's like it's a sort of like a running ticker that like sometimes it ticks in the player's favor and sometimes it ticks yes, away. Yes, I do love that. Yeah, it's like an overarching sort of game that you're playing with or against your DM to see like what side fate will favor in any given moment. Yeah, <laughs> there's the light or dark call to you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I played a super very political um, Twi'lek sort of like spy kind of type she exclusively talked um like there was no there was no combat to her at all Mm. all of her strength was in her words and it was so cool to get to like navigate those social situations and like suss out all of those things which are like you get to do it in D &D somewhat it just feels like a lot more baked into the to the system of edge of the empire i think that's cool too like in nice old republic as we're talking with the if you bump with the scoundrel and charisma you can get out of any combat situation it's a very cool star wars thing to have because a lot of times in star wars it's about these are not the droids you're looking for i remember i built a pilot once for the game and i remember asking my dm i'm like okay cool so like what can i do for combat and they're like well you fly do you do you really need like to be able to do combat well and i'm like yeah don't i like have a bunch of combat feats and they're like no and i'm like D has brainwashed me <laughs> i need a right, combat exactly. maximum character what everybody else you always need to be able to fight at any moment doesn't matter what kind of character you're playing because when you think about it really D, it's like half combat and half everything else mm-hmm. right like in its different fractions oh totally but like above all else like every character is built to fight and that's fine because like i like it you know and i like doing the other things around it too but like there's whole classes that are hmm, fighters, you know, that like not to bring up any old wounds from last episode, uh, but like they're pretty combat focused. No, that's a good point. We'll tell everybody in a bit. We'll tell everybody in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like if you want to be someone who fights in Edge of the Empire, pick a bounty hunter, pick a hired gun. Right. But if you want to be one of those very charming like Lando Calrissians, you pick the politician or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so cool to get to be a pilot. I'm having very many long conversations with another DM of mine in my Eberron campaign where I play like sort of a pilot kind of Mm. vibe. It's interesting to like work around that because it's not, vehicles aren't like a huge part of D&D, right? And neither really is mounted combat from a lot of what I've played. No. But um, it could be, right? It's just something that we don't really think about. And so we've had to sort of like homebrew a lot of like how does flying work and like, 
what ability scores should we use for it? And like, when I'm pulling certain maneuvers, is that more of an intelligence thing or is that a dexterity check? Yeah, like the vehicle proficiency exists, but like the things that are already baked into the original game don't really help to make that anything. It's almost like just like an extra proficiency that doesn't really mm -hmm. matter. Everything that you do when you're piloting is like off the cuff improvised. Like there's no, I'm not looking at like a standard amount of like, and this vehicle is capable of doing this. Like all of that has to be created by the DM, which I love you, Michael. Thank you for everything you do. Hey, shout Yay. out, shout out from the pod. <laughs> yeah, he's making my dreams come true. It sounds like a really awesome campaign. So Michael, you rock. Um, I think, and it's cool that we started talking about, like, different dice systems as well, like the Cortex system, where there are negative and positive things that impact the dice. And we want to do a podcast where we talk about that a little further, because... Because there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of really cool games out there like that. Yeah, and then, like, even Dark Heresy, which focuses on a D100 system rather than a D20 mm -hmm. system. But when I was a, when I was a spry young lad, Aaron... Uh, <laughs> A young, a young person interested in Star Wars. The prequels were out. I was excited about that still. Uh, what a golden age. What a golden age. The 2000s, truly an unmatched time. I mean, that's the plastic lightsabers were big, the ones that retract and everything. Like, every kid Oh, yeah, but they only retracted, like, halfway. Exactly. After a while, they want to go all the way down. Mm -hmm. You know, people, kids or just like want Or, like, the plastic would turn white where you hit it. <laughs> You're so right. Yeah. Oh, good oh. old times. I did spend $200 on a lightsaber in response to that, though, so it never goes away. And it's not plastic. It's actually a glass tube. With it's one of the real ones that, like, glows really pretty. Yeah, it's not like I spent $200 on a plastic lightsaber. Don't want that mm -hmm. to be on the record anywhere. Just strike that immediately. <laughs> no, exactly. Let's get that. Let's set that straight. But there's a lot of cool Star Wars games that existed, though, when I was younger that involved the D20 system. And the miniature games are the ones I'm referring to, especially um, the classic Star Wars miniature episode three which is you get to play as obi-wan or general grievous and everything you do based on movement or attack is all based on a d20 now it's a physical board game so it's not as much like you're playing as a, a clone trooper and you're like making big decisions but it's a nice like star wars DD &D light to get you associated with the d20 die and i think that's cool because a lot of people see a d20 and are like what is that like it's not a common die you see d6 is that a golf ball is that a golf ball it's got so many sides it could roll basically really? mm -hmm. wanted that my little shout out to star wars miniature because it, it really it was the first thing that i ever played where i saw a d20 so thank you star wars for uh giving me the d20 <laughs> yeah so it's time there's a segment at the end and people are talking about the wounds, a.k.a. Aaron, and I think it's time for us Me. to finally announce who won. Yeah. And you can probably tell by Josh's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? His reluctance and his mopey nature Yeah. that nature itself won out and the ranger has bested the fighter. Indeed. indeed. Woohoo! We love an underdog story. Yes. It's pretty exciting. And I do like rangers, but... I had to I had to play with my team until the very end, but I I humbly accept my defeat. That's what makes you a true fan. You stick with them through rain or shine, and it really came down to shout out to my Instagram followers. Um, I we are friends for a reason, and it's because you all voted for the ranger. Although I did, I have one friend. Um, shout out to Alex. Hey, what's up? That slid into my DMs with straight vitriol. That said, <laughs> your followers are dumb if they think the ranger is better. I won't lie. 
I did reach out to a couple friends as well, and they were all like Ranger, and the Ranger was already ahead, so it was like, unless mm-hmm. anything changes, I'll tell Aaron. But it was like, <laughs> so the Ranger was probably gonna win. You no were ready what. to, you were ready to lie. No, to I would not. I cheat. would not have lied. I would allow the Ranger to win. If you the were Ranger stuffing ballot boxes like Al Capone. Oh no, <laughs> I'm going to Alcatraz, <laughs> or, or or whatever the D and D equivalent is for it. Uh, the Abyss. I was gonna say Azkaban, and that's just not true. That's where Al Capone went. He served yeah. with Sirius Black. <laughs> 13 years! But since we are talking about Star Wars, we thought that one of the classes we should do in one of our bracket matchups relates to Star Wars in some way, shape, or form. Because a lot of people are like, I kind of want to play a Jedi in D&D. So, Aaron, what's like the best way to do that, right? My first thought, because the Jedis come from a, like a mystic order, you know, like an ancient martial tradition. Hmm. I was like, maybe play a monk. That way you can do all those cool Jedi flips and, like, all that shit. Totally. You can fall from great heights, and whenever you land flawlessly, you can just say, Hello there. Hello there. Obi-Wan references have to be all across this podcast. We're not getting out of Of course. It. And if you want to have, a like, a laser sword, and you still want to be have some sort of tenets that you follow, like a Jedi oath, maybe you should play a paladin. And it's funny. We didn't do this on purpose. But our next matchup in the martial classes bracket is Paladin versus Monk. Just a quick review. We're talking combat awesomeness, team support, and overall out-of-combat utility. So which class do we want to start with, Josh? I think because I always go to, like, a Kensei Monk first because of the weapons mm-hmm. to describe a Jedi. So let, let's start with the Monk. How about? I love this class. I mean, we all know, like, Jin was a Monk. I love them. When I was filling out my character sheet, the just the amount of like class features you get is insane. Like it fills up the whole thing with like, oh, you can deflect missiles, you can free fall, you can flurry of blows, you can run on walls. Like you could do anything. I think the deflect missiles is one of the best things about the monk, and we can't forget how incredibly powerful and the support that that allows. Basically, you can you could actually take some of the hits in that case. You could have things come flying at you and just deflect them. You got a little bit of a cushion there. On our un- unarmored movement, unarmored defense as well give you a little bit and also just when it comes to combat to talk about them the key points and the different ways they can be used and flurry of blows or even with like the drunken monk the fact that you can disengage just a lot of getting in there doing some damage and then just jumping around a bit i also like i don't give patient defense enough credit but there's nothing better than like posting up in a choke point and then hitting patient defense on your bonus action and people just won't be able to hit you. Totally. I agree with that. And you get evasion. So like if you're feeling good with your dex rolls, you can have the wizard toss a fireball on you and you'll probably be fine. Like you'll take half if not zero damage. Exactly. Uh, Jin was willing to take a shatter in our candle keep. Yes, episode, I was. So we could definitely see that in play. No doubt about it. So, I mean, I'm crazy, but, like, I if I have evasion and I'm a dex character, I'm feeling like a hot shot, and I'm saying, you could throw anything at me, and, like, I'll probably be fine. Now, I feel as though we do have to talk about one thing about the monk, though, is the fact of it. The monk die with your your fist, basically. Your, um, your fist, your kicks, yeah. all of that weapon. Yeah, this is what Jin ran into also in Candlekeep. It was a D4, man. It's not that deep, And it takes a while for it to improve. It's really bad. I mean, granted, like, in any turn, you can throw 3D4 at somebody. 
which is cool. But for example, if you were a paladin and you were doing like a two-handed weapon approach, you could have a 1d12 as just one attack. So the thing here though is you would add your dex modifier to each d4 attack. So you could be rolling 3d4 plus 12. And that's like at level 4 with a plus 4 to dex, which like Jin had a plus 4 in wisdom instead, so like we all make our trade-offs. No, that's a good point. So I get how like adding your ability score multiple times is definitely helpful in that respect. It gives you more guaranteed damage. But like, it's rough. And then like at level five, you know, like, or when your barbarian gets an extra attack at level five, and then they're doing 2d12, yeah. you know, potentially, plus whatever their strength is. So yeah, they're not the, they're not a huge damage build. And like, I, I don't think that that's their design. I don't think so either. Because there's a lot of people that are like, oh, if you're going to do a monk uh, subclass with, or multi-class with a rogue, so you get some more damage in there. Because... That's not really what the monks build for. The D and D people—they're twisted. They're twisted in their minds want to that fight. they must—they must fight. I mean, I also am like this. <laughs> the dark so. side is strong with them. Yes, of course. Now, I think when it comes to utility for the monk, just to touch on it quickly, mm -hmm. maybe you could maybe you could show me a side to it, but I don't see terribly much. So when I think about the monk's utility, I think about the fact that, like, they can run on water, they can climb walls, you know, like, they are really good at maneuvering themselves. So in terms of, like, navigation type things, like, when you're trying to, like, sneak into a building, you know, like, they're probably really good at that. Okay. Or any of those sorts of maneuvers. I'm specifically thinking about the Way of Mercy monk gives a lot of really great support capabilities. I know that's not utility, right? But, like, their subclasses are so diverse. Yeah. That I think it offers a lot of options on uh, not another D and D podcast, which you all should check out. It's a wonderful podcast. Mm -hmm. um, they do like a brief arc when like one of the characters goes on paternity leave, right? Like the actor goes on paternity leave, so the character leaves. Um, they do like they bring in a guest and they do a little arc with a um, a party exclusively of monks, and they did really great. Oh. Like they were, they had all sorts of different things they could do. Like one was a Kensei, um, one was a Way of the Ascendant Dragon, which is an unearthed arcana, and one was a Monk of Mercy. Yeah. And they really like, they played well off of each other. And like, there was never a huge lack, right? Granted, like the one, she did multi-class with Peace Cleric. So there was like, so she got more spells, yeah. but that's life. I think, and honestly, you know, from the Tasha podcast, I'm in love with the Way of Mercy Monk. I think it's brilliant. Um, stylistically. It's not enough to be, like, your real healer. No. You got a cleric in the party, you toss that in there as well. Like, that's your second heal. If the cleric goes down, that's basically what it is. Right, exactly. I was teasing the paladin a little bit, so I just want to talk about, like, the immense amount of damage that a paladin can do when it comes to smite. Go off, yeah. Now, to be fair, I want to take a note, because I'm, I just, I'm thinking about it, but we need to say it out loud. Like, if you really crush it in one category, sometimes that can outbalance, you know, like, if you lack in the other two. In the case of the fighter, for me, it's like the ranger was, like, a solid B in everything, and it's like the fighter was, like, an A+, and, like, two Cs, so, like, it didn't quite even out for me. I agree with, and that was totally my point of view with it as well. Like, it was just the amount of combat versatility that it has is mm -hmm. like so but talk to me about the paladin let's talk right you know it's it's very similar to a fighter with the way that it deals damage extra attack and everything like that but the fact that it can spell cast to add smite on top of things it's immense amount of damage you're getting out with this thing and also you wear big armor 
So you're able to tank in there, take hits as a support role, and also deal immense amount of damage. And you get lay on hands. You get access to a lot of really cool buff spells. Yeah. You, know, you can cast bless on your whole party, and then everybody's swinging, you know? Exactly. Paladin is truly one of the best classes in D&D I think we will find as we go through this bracket. 100%. And I think it's also cool because it plays with other classes well. If the Witch Knight, the Warlock Paladin, is one of the best multi-classes in my opinion. So I know I'm not talking too much about the Paladin, but I kind of am ready to put in my vote. I know. I felt like we talked a lot about Monk as like a consolation prize because we're going to talk about Paladin more in the future. Yeah, so I'm voting for Paladin. I think the damage it puts out and the support that it offers are both A pluses. I truly think every party is made better by having a Paladin. So yeah, Paladin, you go. The, the Holy has prevailed in this case, and the Paladin mm -hmm. moves on. Also, if I could just tease it quickly to fight something not so holy... <laughs> Right, exactly. Oh, we'll get there. We'll just you wait and see, folks. So let's let's move over to Spellcaster land. So the most important thing, I think, for a Jedi, if I was to give Jedi some some skills, some attributes, right? Yeah. I would say that on the whole, they are a very wise group of people. Oh. And so <laughs> this is the cage match of the century. It's a good thing we have extra time left on the episode because... Yeah. Josh's and my favorite classes are going head-to-head -head here. This is terrible, and I feel bad. Um, the Cleric and the Druid is our next matchup. Two wisdom-based spellcasters. Indeed. So I think probably it's better if we preface it this way. I think we should both just make our points, because I don't think either of us are going to be swayed. <laughs> so this is us persuading the audience. Yeah, so basically, whatever. We're going to throw this one out again through Twitter. Aaron's going to put a poll on Instagram. Vote for what you think is the better class. If you want your voice to be heard, follow me at apricot underscore Aaron. That's all. Yes. Thank you. So, one of the first things I ever played was a life cleric. And I was always turned off from clerics at first because, like, every... It used to be the old thing where it's like, oh, nobody wants to be the healer. But the cleric cannot be underestimated. The damage output it can do, especially if you're a Tempest or War cleric is immense. The spells you can cast are catastrophic, guiding bolt, spiritual weapon for any cleric. I found as a 14th level life cleric that I once played, I could heal people so much. And also if I'm like, you know what, I'm going to put out a terribly powerful guiding bolt as well. And there's no class that is going to beat this one in healing either. I think the amount of healing you could do, and especially taking off debuffs, you know, getting rid of your poisons, your paralyzations, things like that, your restorations in that matter is pretty great. Now, I'm talking too much about how much I love the combat and the support. I will be honest, utility of the cleric I don't think is as great as other classes. It's a very religious class, and I don't see as much of, like, outside of combat. You're like, if you're trying to get into a temple, if you're trying to persuade a bunch of people of a different religion to come to you, I could get that. But its abilities are very within combat. I mean, you could heal, you can do some um, divine intervention. Um, you also have your channel divinities, which, to be honest, can get you out of combat at times. I'm not going to give it an A+, plus in its utility, so... My my vote though is that it's an A plus in both A plus plus in both combat, uh, support and utility. I'm actually gonna give it like a B. So that's that's me with the cleric. Wow. All right. I mean, yeah, I've played both of these um to to great effect. Um, in the first Amira campaign, I played a trickery cleric, right, Victor Slots, whom I loved dearly mm -hmm. and was a badass motherfucker. So 
all respect to both. Um, and I currently, we all know, I play Kiva, the Circle of Shepherds druid in Out of the Abyss. Yeah. So it's funny that you say that utility sort of where cleric drops it, because I've gone on the record before as saying um, the druid has the most utility of any class, and I'll fight everyone on it. <laughs> Just like the sheer amount of things that they can do, both in and out of combat, right? But but you talk about like speaking with animals or like navigating the wilderness, these like things that druids do incredibly well, um, especially if you take the outlander background. But looking at just like all of, I'm looking at all of their different subclasses are so incredibly varied, like even to just dip into like some combat stuff, like they, you're hard pressed to find a better tank than a circle of the moon druid. Mm. Just the sheer amount of like temporary hit points they can get that just they keep coming back and you turn into these incredibly powerful animals like mammoths, you know, and polar bears. Yeah. And like, it's, it's astounding really to have on the front lines. And especially at your higher levels, being able to cast spells from that form is insane. Like, why would you not want to do that? There's been several really bad situations where Kiva has survived because I've been able to just like wild shape and burn out time until my friends could rescue me when I've been like totally swamped and mm. surrounded. So thanks for that. They have a wonderful balance of healing and control spells, which really help to support their allies. Fairy Fire is a phenomenal spell that you should always have. A lot of support capabilities. The Circle of Stars Druid in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything has a lot of great ways to buff your allies. The Circle of Dreams has a really interesting bonus action long distance heal that's better than a healing word. You get a pool of D6s that you can dose out for free. So you can bonus action do that and then also cast an actual healing spell like a like the literal spell heal which gives all of your friends 60 hit points so they can do some massive healing as well as well as doing all of like the enhance ability your other battlefield controls your fog clouds your wall of thorns like all of those ideas also it's just great um wow i have so many good things to say about the druid i'm trying to i'm um, trying to cut myself off too I, i'm not gonna lie i'll tell you too druid is one of the best classes of all time as well like this is it's this is a so tough good one. this is a tough one yeah just like then the fact too that even if you're not a circle of the moon druid because kiva is not i'm always astounded at the amount of times that i fall back on wild shape because when i was first looking at the class i was like this is weird i don't like it i want to just be a spellcaster why do i need this hmm. right but it gives you so much more versatility in combat like if there's always that moment where the enemies break the line and all of a sudden your spellcasters are face to face with some really big threats and being able to turn into an animal and like actually stand a chance in physical like face-to-face -face combat is a huge like game changer hmm. also just like the abilities to do recon as a spider or like to turn into a bird and like spy on your enemies you know like there's lots of out of combat uses for wild shape too that are so helpful so we're just gonna have to see we're gonna have to see what people say yes this this is a tough battle but we know that the force will sort everything out the, f the force will prevail yes wisdom will prevail in the end this might be one of those where we like secretly roll up characters and fight each other off off camera we might have off to do mic it. we might have to do it but yeah so go on twitter vote in the poll or follow aaron at his instagram all links will be below in the description mm -hmm. but vote for who you believe will prevail the cleric or the druid i'm nervous i'm i I just don't know how I'm gonna feel. You know what I mean? I this is gonna be like the Rock Lee and Gara fight of the Chunin exams. Ooh, this is gonna be good then. This is gonna be a really good yeah. Fight. <laughs> it's gonna be really good. 
So yeah, that's our May the Fourth episode for you guys. Uh, May the Fourth mm-hmm. yeah. be with all of you. Hopefully, you enjoyed the Star Wars and inevitable D and D talk of this podcast. I hate sand. It's rough, coarse, irritating. It gets everywhere. But I do love the Dungeons and Gatherers podcast, which you can like and subscribe to. Mm-hmm.